0: think in this time in Christ's name amen amen wow thank you and thank you team for for sharing that so very powerful I want to ask you if, if you would today turn to the book of Galatians the sixth chapter verse 14 as a matter of fact a couple of weeks ago before brother Rodney came and spoke last week we were in the same passage and um, we got into a message and I did not even get a third way finished with it, and I thought we'd just start back, and um, even as I was looking last night, we probably won't be able to get all the way through it again because there's so much, so much there, but that's okay. As we walk through God's Word together, I believe if this is a a passage that the Apostle Paul speaks, that if we can just sow it within our heart and and sit on it and, and meditate upon it, it will deepen your faith that also just just change the way that you look at God yourself as well as the world a few weeks ago we began a series that was called don't waste your life and 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 I think that's something that each of us has to stop we have to examine ourselves about that you know what am I doing with the life that God has given me or what am I doing with this life I think even a person that 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 says they do not believe in God has that question within their within their lives is what about my life? Where's my value? What is my worth? What am I supposed to do with this? Brother Rodden did a great job uh, beginning to help formulate that question. And, and, and I do encourage you, if you did not have a chance to 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 listen to that series called uh, uh, The Beginning Requires a Conclusion. I encourage you to do that, or maybe you missed one or two of the, the the services on that because that's what he was trying to do is begin to question what what are we to do with this life and 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 what how do i really view the beginning and, and then what do i do with this creator what not i do with this jesus what do i do with the cross and the resurrection because folks those are all questions we need to honestly ask ourselves i, I guess one of the things that for me as an individual that that grabs me, that drives me, that even haunts me, is is when I get to the end of my life, I have to stop and ask myself because we get very reflective during those times. And I want to ask myself or I think about what am I going to do when I ask myself, have I made a difference? You know, is 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 life any difference because I passed through? I mean, did I even make a tiny ripple in someone else's life? And folks, we are all going to address that that those questions. and God has called us to make a difference. And we're going to be continue to walk through and listen to this as we walk through these series, and I think there's no greater place. Again, to go back to to something the apostle Paul wrote, and let's just let's just go to that passage. We're going to be looking at Galatians, the sixth chapter. He's, he he was working with a with a, a group of people whom he had come and he had shared the gospel with, and and somehow that after they heard the gospel, they were converted to the gospel. Then they began to believe as people began to teach them that. Now you really don't have to, you know. You need to add some things to the gospel, and Paul said no, you don't need to add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we begin to really hear his passion. And let's look at the fourteenth chapter of Galatians, the six, I mean, the fourteenth verse of Galatians, the sixth chapter. Let's all stand together in honor of reading God's word as we just read this verse, and then we'll get right into our lesson. The Apostle Paul writes these words, but God forbid, and, and when he's saying that, let it never be. I mean, this is a this is an intense statement that he's saying that I want to make it very, very clear that I do not allow something like this to happen within my life. He says, But God forbid that I should glory or that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified. Unto me and I unto the world. This passage of Scripture is full of Paul's passion. The passion of what Christ has done for him and the passion that he's going to live his life. When he said, God forbid, let it never be so that I should glory, that I should boast in anything, in anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, By whom? The world is crucified to me and I'm to the world. He says it means everything to me. Father, I pray that you'd take these words now and God, that you'd burn them within our hearts. God, I just pray that um, Holy Spirit, that you would just open our our eyes that we can see and our ears that we could hear, our hearts that we can understand. Father, I, I just pray that you would You'd leave none of us casual, dear Father, the the word that we heard so much this past week. And God, I pray that one way or the other, that you'd knock us off the, the fence. And God, either let us be hot for you or just cold. So, Father, I pray that you'd bless our time. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you last week, and I, I made sure that we put it in the bulletin as well as the, uh, the 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 beginning of the outline that that when you come to the the cross of Jesus Christ, that it's going to force you, it's going to force you into some type of a passion, and and it's only through that passion that you can you can find a lasting difference within your life. Brother Rodney this past week used the word over and over and over again, and I was looking at this, and, and basically he was saying it from a, from a different way, that, the folks, when you approach life, you cannot approach it in a casual manner. You're either going to believe that God is the creator or you're not. You either believe that Jesus is who he says he is or is not. But you can't walk in and just be casual because there's absolute lasting consequences and the only people that will make a difference within their life whether it be for good or for bad is those who are driven by passion because it's our passion for something is that which consumes us Paul was consumed with the passion of telling the world about the crucified Christ and his resurrection he burned with that passion and that was a, the very thing that motivated him each and every day to get up and go and even face struggle because he felt the world needed to know and that's what defined him you cannot you cannot speak of the Apostle Paul and read any of his writings and study any of the history of him and and not understand that one word that would define him was his passion for Jesus Christ and that's what I challenged each of you a couple of weeks ago to stop and ask yourself what is the one word that, that if someone had to describe you what what would be the word that they would describe you about? Do they see passion in your life? And if they see passion in your life, passion for what? You know, Paul writes these words. He wrote to the church of Corinth, and he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 20, 1, 23, he says, but I preach Christ, Christ crucified. He says, if, do you know what I want to, you're going to hear me preach? If you listen to me very long, no matter where I start, I'm going to run to the crucified Christ. Charles Spurgeon said that once, that no matter what Bible scripture, that he turns to that he preaches out of that is just as fast as he can, he's going to run straight to the cross. And that's what Paul was saying. And all Charles Spurgeon was doing is echoing what the apostles Paul said when he says, but we preach Christ crucified. He would later say, in, in just a few verses to the church of Corinth, he says, but I determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The only thing that I want to to learn and to know more of is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And folks, if Paul was so passionate about this, I think it needs to at least make us stop and examine of, of asking ourselves, what is the big deal all about? We all have passions. The question is, what is those passions for? because those are the things that will define us. And so I want to move on past that, and I want us to begin to to examine why was Paul so passionate? Why was this the thing that drove him and and, and drove him even to the point of death, but even to a death that, that he looked forward to because he knew that that would release him to receive his righteous crown? And I suggest to you that that as, as Paul would, would, would focus on, the, on Christ and Christ crucified, that that, that that was the part of his life that, that he could really begin to understand what the true riches of life are all about. You see, only in the cross, only through the cross and the resurrected Christ can we really begin to understand what the true riches of life are are all about when I when I think about that idea of true riches what what are riches to you you know if, if I were to take a poll here today and just ask you to you know, to write down and, and just I want you to define the word riches how would you define that how would you describe what does it mean to be rich and I'm sure that there would be be many many different um, answers to that. You know, I'd almost begin to believe also that if if I begin to age bracket that there would be a big difference between those who are young and those who are middle-aged and those who are older of how they would define that. It's just like in the Bible that, that talks about a, a young man and, and the Bible describes him as a rich young ruler. He was a young guy that Obviously, he was very wealthy in the things of the world. And, and when, when he came to see Jesus Christ, he asked him, you know, um, what good things can I do to, to, to receive eternal life? And, 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 you know, Jesus Christ went through it with him, you know, keep the commandments. Well, I've kept all of those. And Jesus says, well, um, he says, well, one thing you re- really like is you need to go and sell everything that you have and then you come, come follow me. You see, that rich young man, the Bible says, he kind of sulked, and he walked away there very sad because, because to him, his riches were the material things of this world. See, he didn't understand that the, Jesus was offering to him riches and eternal life, but, but he was not willing to trade his materialism for the ultimate riches. And I think that's how a lot of young people are, because we're so pounded by and, and, and we've not learned we're so pounded by the world telling us this is what you need to do to, to, to be rich, and this is what you need to do to have value. There was another man that the Bible spoke about that was a man that he was a farmer, and and boy, his his, his crops were exceedingly bountiful. And the Bible says they were so bountiful, he had to tear down his barns and build new ones. And he filled, he filled his barns up thinking, man, I've made it. I'm, I'm, I'm rich today. And he says, I'm going to sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. And then and Jesus Christ spoke, you know. He says, you know, thou fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. Because that man was, was, was bought into the deception that, that riches are something the world can give me. think about Solomon the Solomon that 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 the word of God teaches us was was the richest man that that Jerusalem ever known but Solomon actually wrote a book a book that this we call Ecclesiastes to talk about this frustration because he was a man that had everything not only did he have all the possessions he was the king and and he was wealthier than any king before him he had any type of pleasure that he wanted, he was very wise. He, he, any musical instrument, I mean, everything was at his disposal. But, but when he summed it all up, you know, he says, I have everything the world has to offer me, but in all reality, it's just vain. It's useless. But yet, people still chase the very things that Solomon chased people still chase the same thing that young man chased. People still chase what that farmer thought, that if, if, if I have to build bigger barns and ha- or open more mutual funds or bank accounts, that, that I'm somebody. But at the end, it leaves them empty. The reason I'm saying that, that I believe that if you took age bands, because one thing about life that will do you, and you begin to approach death, you begin to see the world in a different way. You've heard the old saying that every dying businessman is not going to regret that he didn't spend more time at the office. What his regrets are going to be that I didn't spend more time with my family, that I didn't build deeper relationships. And so one thing that when we come to the cross, what we begin to see very, very clearly, what the true riches of life really are. And, and because within that, we begin to see some very, some, some very clear things. I think one of those things that, that we begin to see is that, that we see the riches of God's unfathomable love toward man. To realize there's a God who created all things. A God that the Bible says holds all the universe, and we're not even sure how big the universe is because the more powerful telescopes we get, the bigger the universe that we can see. But the Bible says God can hold that within the span of his hand, and although the, the um, scientists will agree that the stars are just basically innumerable, but the Bible says he can call them all by name. But we serve a God that is that vast, that still has chosen to display his love upon you and me. Now, folks, that ought to rattle our world because the deepest longing of man, the deepest emotion of man, all would agree is the emotion of love. Because God has, when he created us within his image, that he created within us that capacity to love, and, and, and we all need to love and we all need to be loved. And I think that we all can agree that that we can have broken bones or or we can have diseased bodies, but folks, nothing hurts worse than a broken heart. And broken hearts come from relationships that turn sour. And so therefore, we can understand that our deepest emotion is that of, of love and to understand that there's a God in heaven that loves you and me. In a in a way that cannot even be described. You see, the world will walk away from us. God won't. And as a matter of fact, some of the most powerful verses in Scripture are, are, are some of the verses we 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 pull up. And, and 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 probably the first verse that most people memorize is John three sixteen because it's so profound, yet it's so familiar. For God so loved the world. Sam, did you know that that was written in a way that you can. You could write your name individually, and it does not hurt that because it speaks, you know, for God so loved Sam that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved Joel. For God so loved Robert. For God so loved Lisa. See, every one of us here today and every one that's ever lived can can take that, that particular verse. They can put their name in there. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Johnny. How much did God, how how did God love Johnny? What manner did God love Johnny is he gave his own son to die in Johnny's place. And if I would only believe in him, then I would not perish but have everlasting life. Boy, we heard a a, a great description of that this past week, and I'll I'll get into that just a moment. Folks, how much does God love you? He loves you enough that he would give his only son. But God demonstrates his love towards you, for God demonstrates his love toward Kathy, that while Kathy was yet a sinner, Christ died for her. When Kathy was not wanting God to be a part of her life, when God, Kathy was not loving God, God was loving Kathy. You know, it's hard to love somebody that doesn't love you in return. As a matter of fact, it's very hard to love someone that, 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 that in their mind, they're enemies with you. But when we were still enemies with God, God was loving on us. And he loved on us enough that he gave his own son to die in our place. So one of the greatest riches that we can have as a human race is to know there's a God in heaven who loved me in a way that I can't understand. I can't understand it because I can't love people the way that God loves me. See, God loves me with a perfect love. The best I can do in even loving my wife or my children is through an imperfect love. You know, I deal with unrighteous anger. I deal with jealousy because I'm a a man who's prone to sin. But God never deals with unrighteous anger or unrighteous jealousy or selfishness. How many times is my selfishness my own selfishness has gotten in the way of me loving Wanda see the way I should love her many times. But God never allows his selfishness to get in the way of him loving us. Folks, when you begin to grab hold of, of, of that that simple that simple little song, "Jesus loves me, this I know," for the Bible tells me so that that's absolutely profound, and you begin to understand. What greater riches that can I have is just knowing that there's a God in heaven that loved me when I was unlovable. And I can, I can, I can say across this congregation this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been in your life. It doesn't matter if you have shaken your fist in God's face and says, I don't love you and, 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 and God, get out of my way. There's a God in heaven who still loves you. Grab hold of that. Grab hold of that. How rich is that? How rich is that? You know, I've seen people that, were marriages that were just absolutely destroyed because of, of the the bad decisions of one of the spouses. And in many times, that caused that 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 marriage to to fracture and never come back together. But, but many times there's a spouse that continued to love that broken spouse. And, and that broken spouse is under, why, how could he love me or how could she love me? And you see something so beautiful. But folks, our entire life is brokenness. How, how we have rebelled against our father, but he still loves us. And so when I look at the cross, what the cross shows me is the love of the Father and the love of the Son. I cannot look at the cross without seeing God's unfathomable love toward me that while I was yet sinner, he sent his Son to die for me. Jesus Christ said these words, greater love has no man than this, or no greater love is this than a man would lay down his life. For his friends and that's what Jesus says I'm laying down my life for you and it's in the cross that we see the glory of the love of God I think about the apostle Paul he had so much anger and so much bitterness in his 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 heart toward the followers of Christ and even the person of Jesus Christ that, that he made it made it his life to destroy every Christian every believer that he could until he met the crucified Christ. And then it was Paul that later would write those words. But God demonstrated his love toward Paul, that while Paul was an enemy of his, that he sent his own son to die for him. And so, through the cross, we see the riches of God's unfathomable love. Folks, you are loved. Understand that. But also that that it's only through the cross that we can see the riches of man's priceless value toward God. That you are valued. That you're a somebody, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what background you've come from, no matter what you have done within your life, you are valuable to God. You're priceless before God. And it's an amazing thing that that, that the way we hold ourselves is is how much do we value our own selves. But you are valued to God. I was was sitting on this last night. I was thinking about boy, how how to describe this. You see, how most of people within even this place today, how we value ourselves is, 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 is allowing other people to set their values. We see ourselves as other people see us. And so many people live in such broken worlds that all they've been told before is you're no good or, 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 or you know, no matter how hard I try, somebody's better than me. And so we, we keep ourselves bound because we don't value ourselves as God values us. Because we measure ourselves against one another. And folks, when you receive your value by the way that other people think, then that's a losing battle. Because even no matter how good you may think you are, there's always going to be somebody a little bit better than you. And if you value yourself and compare your bank account against somebody else, there's always going to have someone that has a little bigger bank account, bigger bank account than you. You see, most people value within our world today, they, they place their value again, whether it be economically, you know, how much money I have, how many you know, what big house do I have, what type of car I drive, or, or maybe intellectually, how many diplomas do I have in the wall compared to this next person? Or maybe sports-wise, you know, I've got more trophies than you. But folks, that's a losing battle, and that's why so many people have so much struggle, because we find our value in the world and not in God. I I, I was meditating on this yesterday, and it was a beautiful day yesterday, and you know, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to ride to the, the Harley shop. I, I have my bike. Man, I, folks, I, I, man I, have, I have a Harley Davidson I love. And God blessed me. That's something I always wanted. And I found a good deal. Thank God for Craigslist, you know. And, man, and, you know, and I get a good bargain, and I got one. I'm so proud of that thing. And, you know, when I'm out by myself, people look, hey, man, that's, that's a nice-looking bike. And I'll be, be honest with you. It kind of pumps me up a little bit, you know. <laughs> You know, when they do that, I'll, you know, I got loud pops, and I'll just pump it a couple of them, you know, and <laughs> kind of makes me feel like the big dog, you know, and, um, well, I rode in yesterday. it's a beautiful day, and I, I rode in. I was, I was looking for a, uh, I need another helmet, and that's another story, and I, I might even weave that in, and so I, I rode into the shop yesterday, and I guess it's been a pretty day, and about week's one of the previews, man, that place was filled up, and I pulled up, and there were not any people really in the parking lot, and I pulled up right there and I walked inside well first of all as soon as I walked into that place I realized my bike wasn't nothing <laughs> man you know I thought man I thought my but you look at this I mean and they had them just lined up lined up and yeah I tell you 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 fight that you know covet you know I had to deal with that a little bit and um so I went around and looked around, and everybody's walking in there, you know, and had all outfitted up, and so and then I walked out. By the time I'd went in and come out, two guys had driven up, and, man, they had two bikes that made mine look like a little scooter, you know. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, you know, everybody's always got a bigger bike than yours. You might think you're something, and if you're trying to value yourself according to the world, there's, there, there's always going to be somebody that's going to one-up you out there. And then you think you're not as important as what you thought you were. But God doesn't work that way, folks. Because the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Each of us can put our name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God values you and me so much that the price tag He put on you and me was the life of his very own son. And folks, that includes every single one of us. It has nothing about how the world determines value, but God has placed His value on you and me, and that value is equated to the Son of his, Jesus, his Son Jesus Christ. That's how much God values. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you were purchased with a price. You were redeemed off the slave blocks of sin. And he didn't pay just a slave payment for you. Folks, he paid the very price of the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how much God values you. And I want you to take that and grab, because as long as you value, allow yourself to value yourself according to the ways of the world, you're always going to be disappointed and it never be enough. But when I begin to stop and I look at that cross, and every time I look at the cross, that Jesus Christ hung on that cross, he died for my sins. He bought me with the price. So the cross teaches me that I am of utmost value to the God of heaven. You're priceless. The world can't buy that. See, if if, if God could have taken anything from the world and, 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 and bought us instead of giving his own son, he would have done that. But there was no value enough within this world that we live in to pay the price for the penalty of our sins. And so God bought you and me with the life of his own son, Jesus Christ. That, that's what really should make us pick our shoulders up. That's what should really make me understand that I'm somebody to God. Right. It doesn't matter, you know, where I've come from or what I've done, I'm somebody to God. And I'm such a somebody to God that he gave the life of his own son for me. See, again, we can't imagine that. Anything value that the world places on us Somebody can take that away. But when God has placed his value on us by giving his own son, Jesus Christ, nobody can take that away. Man. And you know what? The only way I can truly see that is through the cross. Every time I see the cross and every time Paul saw the cross, he recognized, God, that's how valuable I am to you. An old murderer like me an old, old, old Christian hater like me, a persecutor of the church like me, that God, you still love me enough and your cross reminds me that I'm of utmost value to you. So folks, none of us should walk around with slunk shoulders or comparing ourselves to one another because for every believer, God has paid the very same price. He's paid it with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. Man, that should get us fired up. You see, also, it's only through the cross that I can understand the riches of of, of man's complete pardon from our condemnation. See, it's through the cross, folks, you need to understand that we really see God for who he is and we really see man for who we are. It's through the cross that we see the great love and the great passion and of of, of god and the great value he placed upon mankind we couldn't see that other than through the cross see because god's love is a demonstrable love now many times we tell people that we love them but there's no there's no proof if you please god proved his love for us that he gave his own son to die for us and so it tells us about who god is and his great his great love for mankind but on the flip side of that And this is where people get very, very uneasy. That when I see the cross, it tells me how depraved I am. It proves who God is, but it also proves who I am. That there's no other way I could come back into relationship with God other other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because sin has tainted me so deeply, there's nothing I can do There's no righteousness with me. As a matter of fact, through Isaiah, the prophet, we we learned that our righteousness, the things that we think are pretty good, are as nothing more than filthy rags to God. And folks, that language was kind of lightened up. Folks, our goodness is nothing more than filthy rags. As compared to the righteousness of God, there's none that seeks after Him, no, not one. There's none of us good. And so, what the cross tells me is there's no way for me to approach a righteous God other than through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to John, the third chapter, verse 16, that great verse. John, the third chapter, verse 16. Many of you can quote this and, with me and, um, let me. and I want you to read this. I just want you to follow with me because you need to, to go ahead and read some context here. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, showing great, God's great love for us and how much he values you and me. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what's this talking about perishing? And then he, he says in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God, Christ came. He came to bring salvation. Salvation from what? I mean, that's a very honest question. But then look at verse 18. He that believes on him is not condemned. And, and so for him whose places trust in Jesus Christ... We're no longer under condemnation. But listen to the next. But he that believeth not is condemned already. When, when is that man going to be condemned that does not believe on Jesus Christ? He's already condemned. It's not like that's something that's going to happen at the great white throne judgment or the day when Jesus comes. See, the Bible says if for those of you that don't believe on Jesus Christ, you're already condemned. You're already, and and the only thing that keeps you from facing God's condemnation is his mercy right now, because he's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. But right now, if there's there's anyone here that's never placed their trust in Jesus Christ, understand this, you are already condemned. It's not like one day they're going to hold court, and they're going to bring things. The Bible says you're already condemned. Wow, that puts a different change in it. Because he's not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. want you not you look on down to verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. I mean, that's just a true statement. He that has, has, has trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says, shall have eternal life that the, and, and and that's meaning that also that you're not under condemnation, but he doesn't stop there, but he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, King James abideth that actually means the present tense, but the wrath of God abides on him and and what that means is for those of you that have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ or on any person, any person before they trust or Place their trust on Jesus Christ, they're already condemned. And, and he takes it a little bit further that the, the wrath of God abides on you. It's, it's, it's kind of the wrath of God is right there on you. And the only thing that's keeping the wrath of God from falling upon you is God's mercy and his grace. See, you're already condemned. And so God would totally be just to allow that wrath to, you know, to cut the string of that wrath and just let it fall on you but it's his mercy and grace. And so when I look at the cross, and I'm realizing it's through the cross that that my sins have been forgiven because the wrath of God, every sin has to to be, be paid for. And it was on the cross that Jesus Christ paid for my wrath. As Rodney so eloquently, it's not that God just erases our sin. That sin had to be paid for and when I look at the cross, I realize it's on the cross that Jesus paid for my sin. His, my His wrath was poured out on Jesus for my sin, not for him because he was sinless and And, and right now for for any person that's never come to that point to realize, That that God's wrath is already abiding on you. It's not something that's going to happen. It's already abiding on them. And it's other than just the mercy of God that he's holding back that wrath. You see, that's what the cross tells me. The cross tells me that, wow, that I've been pardoned from God's condemnation. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But Jesus took the wrath for me. And folks, how can I not love Jesus Christ? How can I be casual about that? That that if I know that there's somebody that's taken my wrath from me, and it was Jesus Christ who did it. And folks, there's a richness of knowing that this is what Jesus has done for me. See, that's why many people, as, as Paul spoke about in the Church of Closs, that the offense of the cross, because people don't like the cross because it reminds them too much of who God is and who they are. Because we like to believe that I can do something for my own salvation. But the cross says, no, you can't do anything for your own salvation. Christ had to do it for you. And so it strips away all of our self. But once we get to that point and we come to that point of humility of realizing that, God, I could not do it, you did it for me. That just makes God so much more beautiful in my sight because of what Jesus Christ did for me. See, the cross shows me the righteousness of God. It shows me my unrighteousness. The cross shows me the work of God on my behalf but it shows me my my inability to do anything. God shows me, or the cross shows me God's great love and mercy for me, but it shows me my need of a Savior. And folks, when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand the beauty and the riches of the death, the burial, and the resurrection on our behalf. I love this statement that was written by John Piper when he says, Apart from the death of of Christ, sinners get nothing but judgment. Apart from the cross of Christ, there is only condemnation. Therefore, everything that you enjoy in Christ as a Christian, as a person who trusts Christ, is owing to the death of Christ. Folks, we don't don't deserve anything, any type of joy. And all your rejoicing and all things should therefore be a rejoicing in the cross where all of your blessings were purchased for you at the, cross, at the cost of the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that we are not cross-centered and cross-saturated as we should be is that we've not realized that everything, everything good and everything bad that God turns for good of his redeemed children was purchased by the death of Jesus Christ for us. Everything good that occurs in our life is due to the cross of Jesus Christ because God has given us hope through the cross. And that's why Paul says, "God forbid that I should glory in anything but the crucified Christ." Because God, because it's through the cross that I see the riches of God's love for me. I see the riches of my value toward God. I see the riches now, the true riches of what it cost to pardon my sin, and then finally, I see the true riches of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. When I was a, a child, lived in, went to church at Little Glen Baptist, and you had the the choir loft right here in that little church, and, and then there was two walls that kind of slanted into the. Um, to the choir loft and i always remember on that face in the up on the right hand wall there was a picture of jesus blue-eyed good looking guy and um and um you know, kind of an artist's rendition i spoke a few weeks ago and and we took a passage out i um Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, where pretty well, they said that Jesus was an ugly baby and he was an ugly man. And the way they said that, there was nothing comely about him. And I mean, that was just a nice way of saying he wasn't a very good looking dude. See, the beauty of Jesus Christ was not in his physical looks. The beauty of Jesus Christ is is who he was and what he did for you and me. You see, it, it'd been very easy for people to draw to Jesus Christ if He's the best-looking guy in town. See, that's how we measure people. We measure people by, you know, the build of their shoulders and you know how much they weigh and their, 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 you know, their waistline and and you know how strong they are. And but but that's not how you measure the beauty of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that if we if we took and went on and and, and, and read in, in, in Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, verse, um, the 53rd chapter, that he was beaten where he, didn't even, well, he wasn't even recognized as a man. Because he took upon us, himself, our stripes and our persecutions. You couldn't even look at Jesus Christ and even recognize that was a human being because he had been beaten and he had been flayed. And and to the point that if we looked at that, if we if we looked at Jesus Christ, if we could peer back two thousand years and see Jesus Christ hanging naked upon that cross, most of us in this place would either gasp or we would turn our head because we couldn't even look at it. Because it was such an unghastly sight. But folks, I submit to you, there's no greater beauty that's ever been shown when Jesus Christ hung upon that cross. You know, the world might gasp and say, oh, what a terrible sight. We must recognize that was the most beautiful sight of Jesus Christ is because he took all that upon himself because of his love toward you and me and because how much he valued. You see, see it was through the cross that we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's when he becomes most beautiful for, to us is when we see what he's done for us. And maybe we, we, we don't love Jesus Christ in that way or see him that way because we, we fail to stop and look at him on the cross, of what he's accomplishing there on the cross, and then being buried and on the third day arising again. This man that did not come to try to, try to come by the world standards, he, he could have been born, he could have looked any way he wanted to, but the Bible says he was uncommonly. But it got so much worse even as he hung upon Calvary's cross. As he was beaten, his um, his beard had been plucked, he had been flayed, and he was a mess. But I submit to you, when Jesus Christ, the bloody Jesus Christ, hung on the cross for my sins and yours, and, and him, even the words he was saying, Father, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. And you have that cross silhouetted against a a dark sky. There's never been anything more beautiful because of what it represents. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, I can't preach anything other than the crucified Christ. The only thing that I want to know is Christ and him crucified because... It's through the crucified cross that I see God's love for me, that I see how much, how valuable I am to him. I'm seeing how much it costs to, be, to pardon my sin. And it's through the cross that I see the true beauty of Jesus Christ. Man. We serve a beautiful Lord and Savior. One day we're going to sit him on the throne in all of his glory. But right now we saw him on the cross in all of his glory. But that cross and that grave couldn't hold him, dear friend. And he arose again. And he did all of this because he loved you and me. In just a moment, I'm I'm closing. And as our companies come up and I'm going to ask him to be working himself on up to the stage. I want you to ask today, how do you see Jesus Christ? And, and, and what are you claiming for your riches? Or are, are you are you trying to compare yourself and your value by the riches of the world or by what God has given you through a Son, Jesus Christ? I want to tell you today, dear friend, every one of you are so valuable to to God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never met him in a personal way. You cannot look me in the eyes and say, Pastor, I, if I died today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Let me tell you, you need, you need to make that decision because the Bible says that he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believes not, you're already condemned. It's not that you're going to be, you're already condemned. and And the wrath of God abides on you. It's only God's mercy that he's withholding his wrath right now. And I'm asking you today to run to Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ loves you. And he loves you right where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up to it for him. You just come as you are and he'll receive you. And, 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 and he'll apply his righteousness to you as he's received your wrath. I invite you today to come to Jesus. I ask you today to come and call upon the Lord. We'll meet you right here, and we'll talk to you about it. But Christian, you may be here today, and you you have dealt with Jesus in a very casual way. We heard Brother Rodney speak about that all week. You can't do that. You may need to come today, and you might say, God, I'm laying that casualness. I'm just, I want to be on fire for my Jesus. And you may want to come and just... Thank him for the beautiful God that he is. And thank him for the price that he paid for your soul. You may, you just may want to just, just in some way say, Lord, I'm sick and tired of living this way. I want to live for you, the crucified Christ. I want to boast in nothing but you, the crucified Christ. Folks, that is where you're going to make a difference. Not only in your life, but I can tell you people around you will begin to see it people around you, you won't even have to say a word to them. They'll begin to see something so different in you that they'll be drawn to you and you tell me what's going on in your life. And then you can tell them about the same Jesus that's made a difference. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? The altar's open as we stand, as we sing. I invite you to stand. The altar's open. I invite you to come, my friend.